today's episode of Sports and the World, we talk about the importance of words, my WWE and LFL report, and my big picture. That's today on Sports and the World. to us, and however you're listening to us, whether it's through here on Anchor, or through Apple and Google Podcast, or Spotify, thank you for making sports and the world a part of your day. I'm Ladarius Brown, I hope you guys had a great week. If you have a great week, I hope the next week is better for you all. And just a quick programming note, starting Tuesday, I'll be beginning my football podcast, and it won't affect this weekly episode of this podcast, but it'll just be something that will be on Tuesdays where I talk about the NFL, college football, and I'll move the LFL over there as well. And that will be all on Tuesday. So I hope you continue to tune in for that as well. With that business out of the way, let's begin. Now I want to talk about the importance of words. Words are important. How we talk to someone is important because we don't know how the effect of words are on on people. Sometimes words have no effect, sometimes a great effect. And most importantly, who says the words has an impact. And I bring that point up because the president came out with some tweets about the four congresswomen. And I'm not going to read all all the tweets. I'm just going to read you just one. And the one he tweeted out on Sunday said, quote, So interesting to see progressive Democrat congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, In parentheses, if they even have a functioning government at all. Now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came? Then come back and show us how. And if you want to read more, you can go to his Twitter. Because he he goes on and talks about Nancy Pelosi... Welcome to travel arrangements. You you can read all that on your own. And he was talking about the four liberal freshman congresswomen known as the squad. And that's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilan Omar, Ayanna Presley, and Rashida Talab. So, this back and forth, it really, it got the ire of a lot of people. And you had a lot of people who surprisingly supported it. How do I know that? I'm glad you asked. There was a poll, USA Today, in an IPSOS poll, IPSOS poll, and it came out and it said that more than two-thirds of those aware of the controversy, 68% called Trump's tweets offensive. Among Republicans alone, however, 57% said that they agree with the tweets, and you want to go deeper, a third of them strongly agree with them. 
Full discretion, three of the four congresswomen are U.S. citizens. Ilhan Omar came as a refugee from Somalia more than 20 years ago, but she's been a citizen since the year 2000. So, I read the tweets, and, and I saw the reactions, Twitter and social media. And quite frankly, it was divided. And, and people are like, well, what he said was wrong, right? And I sit there and I tell people, I'm not the business of telling people what they can and can't say is wrong or right. That's something we're going to talk about in my big picture about that. But here, I want to talk about something that really struck me. Now, if I were a Republican, not an independent, but if I were, if I were a Republican today, and I read those tweets. Nobody said anything. I think the only one that really came out and said something was Senator Jody Ernst. And someone has to come out and say something. You know, that, you know, Mr. President, you can't... We understand the point you were trying to convey. But it came off very xenophobic. It came off very sexist. Given your history with women now that's not saying that you're not if you're a Republican you're not going full blown anti-Trump but you're calling out some discrepancies and I believe checks and balances is very important especially within your own party and sometimes in your own life sometimes you need that friend to check you to keep you balanced because there's no way that everything that you're going to do is right. And you need that friend to kind of check and balance you out. When they say, I'm going to jump out of an airplane. Like, really, Jim? Really? Because if you don't have that, you'll be doing a lot of stuff that you wouldn't otherwise do. You need checks and balances. It just works. And I guarantee you, you've had that one friend who stopped you from doing something that you, in the long run, realized, I'm glad they did. And I think that someone in the Republican Party needs to be there, and I'm not talking about Mitt Romney, or just the man who left the Republican Party, and I'm I'm not disrespecting those two gentlemen, but I'm talking higher up, and I'm going to get to that right now, because just last year, It reminded me of what happened to another Republican, Steve King of Iowa. He was rebuked formally by his own party and his peers, more importantly, over some comments he made about white supremacy. He strongly objected to GOP leaders stripping him of his committee assignments also. But you know what the vote was against that rebuke? The final vote was 424 to 1. And the only one who voted against it was a Democrat who essentially said that they wanted to censure, censure King. And the last person who was censured was Charlie Rangel, a Democrat. I believe that was back in 2010. Censure is very important. It's different than you getting rebuked 
and you get censured. There's a huge difference. Censure means you're pretty much out of the door. And a rebuke is kind of like that step into it. And so you're asking, well, what specifically did Steve King say that caused that whole rebuke by not just his peers in the house, but by his own party? He said, this was a New York Times interview in that same year, 2018, and he said, quote, white nationalists, white supremacists, Western civilization, how did that language become offensive? And full discretion, he he basically says that he was taken out of context, that he was referring to being taught it, and, you know, he was referring to, you know, he had, he wasn't taught that in school. And he didn't understand why it was offensive. You can go to his page, his congressional page, and you can get the full information on that. But I'm going to read you two quotes directly about Steve King. And these are from two very important people in the Republican Party now. And this quote comes from the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy. At the time, he said, quote, We will not tolerate this type of language in the Republican Party or in the Democratic Party as well. Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, said if King, quote, doesn't understand why white supremacy is offensive, he should find another line of work. Two important members of his party checked it and they balanced it. They checked it. And I know Republicans can do it. So this is what I say when I hear Democrats say, Republicans don't check their own. No, they've done that. Maybe not at the pace that you wanted them to do it, but they've done it. I remember when Rashida Talab got elected, that video came out saying, we're going to impeach that MF, referring to President Trump. Pelosi and the party shut it down. You're checking and you're balancing your party. And I do believe, and I'll probably bring up in a future podcast, that there's a division brewing in the Democratic Party that's going to have a direct effect on the 2020 election. But that's a whole other podcast episode and segment away. But, once again, they've checked and balanced themselves in the past. And I'm astonished that nobody castigated him you know, in his own party, because Steve King was, but we couldn't castigate the president. And listen, Steve King has a history of doing this. This is not like, oh, this is a one-time thing. So people are like, oh man, well, he's getting a raw deal. No, this is not the first time he's done it. See, back in October of last year, he publicly endorsed a white nationalist candidate for mayor of Toronto. That candidate, Faith Goldie, she this promoted books espousing anti-Semitic ideas and defending the white supremacist 14-word slogan per the Toronto Star. And then, I'll do you one more and then I'll progress on. And I'm going to go back 2013 where he commented quote, that while he had some sympathy for some illegal immigrants, 
quote, they aren't all valedictorians. They weren't all brought in by their parents. For everyone who's a valedictorian, there's another 100 out there who weigh 130 pounds. They got calves the size of cantaloupes because they're hauling 75 pounds of marijuana across the desert. That came from a sitting member of Congress. So, when people say, oh, that whole statement, no, he has a history. Just like the president. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and say that everything that the president says is is right. But I'm not going to always sit here and say everything that is wrong. Because we have to read the tea leaves sometimes. Because with Trump, his rhetoric, he's just, that's who he is. He was elected because of his personality. And the things that he was espousing, whether you agree with them or not, he conveys them in a very charismatic way, the same way Obama was elected back in 2008. I'm not creating a false equivalency on their presidency. I'm creating the equivalency of the fact that they're charismatic personalities. You know, my thing is that Trump, Trump is who who he's always been in terms of his behavior. Mind you, there's some stuff that, you know, is clearly debatable. His record on women, his record on race, you know, those things are debatable. But what we can debate is his charismatic personality, and that's why he won. A non-politician, the first president not to have political experience, didn't hold any political office. There's a reason for that, and that's important. And what's also important is going back to Trump. Is that, listen, on Wednesday the House voted, they condemned his comments. It passed, 235 Democrats, and four Republicans sided with him. But when it came to impeachment, remember Al Green, I believe it was the third time he tried to bring up articles of impeachment toward the president, and it was shut down. And we all know who voted for it, those four congresswomen, Ocasio-Cortez, Omar, and Presley, and Talab. But, that let me know that other members of the House didn't. And those caused a great divide. Because, like I said, there's a division in the Democratic Party. And this is the issue when it comes to Trump, because Nancy Pelosi said from the beginning that we have to be careful how we impeach the president. We have to have facts. She's not going to go in there and even though that, listen, may not like the man on a personal level, but you can't, listen, you can't get your boss fired because you don't like him. You know, that was the case. A lot of bosses would be fired. It had just cause. And what Pelosi is simply saying is that we need to have all the proof we have before we bring articles of impeachment against him. I agree with that. But if you leave it up to the squad, oh, he'd be impeached by now. And Al Green and a lot of members of the Democratic Party, there's a division. And it's being caused by this issue. Because does Trump have a pattern of this? Yes. Do I feel any of the things that he said are impeachable? No. Because the thing is, if 
it would have came out in the Mueller report that there was collusion, I would have said, go after the president. But after the report, he there was nothing in there that proved that there was no collusion. So to me, I'm not saying he's innocent, but I'm sitting there saying, listen, that was the that was the that was the whole case because I heard both sides say we trust Bob Mueller, we like Bob Mueller. All of a sudden, Bob Mueller didn't, you know, I guess do what was right for Democrats. All of a sudden, now we have to investigate the. No, you can't have your cake and eat it now. Bob Mueller did his job, and I think that's the divide now that the Mueller report didn't work, so they need something. And they want because 2020 is six months away. And I do believe that these four women will have a direct impact on that election. Good, bad, or indifferent, they will have an impact. And maybe on next week's podcast, I'll go into the specifics as to how that impact's going to be. But when I come back, I'm going to show you the impact WWE had on Raw and SmackDown. And how did I do an Extreme Rules? I'll give you a clue. Better than I thought. That's next on Sports and the World. And welcome back into Sports and the World. And I'm going to drop the social media here for you. At both Twitter and Instagram, it's at Sports the World. At some point, I'll be considering creating a Facebook page for it, maybe a website for it as well. And also, if you have something to say about the show, good, better, and different, you know, go to the go to here on Anchor, go to the to the link to leave a little voice message for it, and you know what, I might play it on the show. You know, as long as it's clean. If it's not clean, then I'll just get some Lysol and clean it up. But with that being said, let's talk about Raw and SmackDown. You know, what I will say off the top, both of these shows were very good. For for very different reasons. And I'm going to start off with Raw. Overall, what I liked Raw is that it gave me storylines. It gave me progression. And listen, the theme for both shows, I'll tell you right now, short matches. But with that being said, you know, delving more into Raw, I want to talk about Paul Heyman. I guess officially this is the first time, first week, that he's fully on charge, the executive producer. And listen, he's a clairvoyant extraordinaire. He told us... The Extreme Rules, Brock Lesnar was going to cash in, and he did. And and he's just an absolute genius. And people are saying, oh, you're putting too much praise to put him. No, he's an absolute genius. Paul Heyman is respected in the wrestling business. Now, however you feel about ECW and how it ended, you can't argue that it changed the way wrestling was. He knows wrestling. He knows the business. And Vince was smart by hiring. So, so Brock comes out with the belt, and and I just feel that, like I said, one of the things that I'm interesting in his promo is that he talked about Seth Rollins, <laughs> and he said that he walked in Becky Lynch's stud, but walked out a gelding, which means a castrated 
force. So, listen, Paul Heyman is a maestro of the microphone. I absolutely love him. I would like to see more. I would like to see him paired with somebody else who I may or may not bring up later in this particular segment. But I think the trajectory of Raw is just going up. I think storyline progression is important. But, you know, I was delving into a couple of the matches here. You know, it had Ricochet versus the New Usos versus the Revival and Robert Roode. It was a good two out of three falls match. I'm not gonna lie, it was a very good match for what it is. I gave it a B, I gave it an 85 because I like, you know, the competition and I, and overall, I just like, you know, I just like these guys, they're both very good in the ring and, you know, how they mesh. I think they mesh well together because on paper I looked and said, I don't know if it's going to work, but it worked out beautifully. Viking Raiders and Vinny Ruger and Jackson James or Jones, doesn't matter. Squiggity squash match. Gave it a C. But I want to talk about Cedric Alexander versus Drew McIntyre. You know, I can't take credit for this, but Brian Zane of Wrestling with Regret. Go check out his YouTube stuff. He hit the nail on the head in his in his Braun Smackdown, he does who wore it better. He predicted that, listen, that, you know, Seth's going to get the heat back and it's going to be some kind of, there's going to be some kind of match between these two and he thought Drew was going to, you know, beat the crap out of him. And, you know, and that's the end of it. Well, it come to find out Cedric won C-match. Once again, what I still say about Drew Manger, it didn't hurt Drew. I still think I'm looking forward to who's going to face at SummerSlam, and I always said from the beginning, why not the Undertaker? Why not? Because the Undertaker put over Roman Reigns. Some good, some people are good at putting over people. Undertaker is one of them. I think he can put over Drew McIntyre and verify how good he is. He's a stud. You know, Jim Ross used to say he's a blue chipper. So, and. Now, the Samoa Joe-Finn Balor match, average match. Well, I gave the Cedric match, like I said, 77. But the Samoa Joe-Finn Balor match, that was just a straight C, 75. Because it was a 30-second match. But it led to something bigger, which was the return of Bray Wyatt. And finally, Paul Heyman pulled the trigger like, this guy's been sitting on the shelf, let's bring him out. Heyman's a genius. I say it once and I'll say it again. And this feud with Balor is going to be very good leading up to SummerSlam. Because you don't have the Demon versus Bray versus the main. You know, it's going to be a very good match. It's going to be intriguing. And I'm glad they pulled the trigger on it. I cannot overemphasize Firefly Funhouse was so good every week. And they dropped down little clues and hints, little Easter eggs throughout for a while. But once again, I just think that this is a home run. He's on the shelf, like mind you, yeah, nitpick said, oh, could have came. No, right time, right moment. Use it for one of your big four shows. Have this come up with something. You got the right opponent in Finn Balor. You can be the demon. I think it's gonna be great. Listen. Drake Maverick, or as I call him, him and his wife, Renee, or should I call them Mr. and Mrs. 24-7, they went to this hotel, 
And you know what? I just like they're using him so well. And and by the way, I forgot that he was still the 205 general manager. The 205 Live, I completely forgot until it was brought up on 205 Live by Mike Canales, who we'll get to shortly. So, speaking of Mike Canales, you know, he, he's, he's, he fought Zack Ryder. Now, initially, Maria, his wife, was going to fight. She's pregnant, but she said, well, I can, you know, at least I can win, essentially. You can't, Mike. And goes in there, Rough Ryder, 30 seconds. Like I say, the theme was short matches. It's really quiet. I gave it a 70 because... It is what it was, but, you know, it is what it was, I'll leave it there, and, I, and as for, you know, the Street Profits, listen, can we get a match in the long-term progression, I think Paul Heyman is behind this, I think that, I remember, was it, a couple weeks ago, they were on there, and he interrupted, you know, Heyman's interview, and they kind of like, okay, they're going to do something with Street Profits, right? Because they're the NXT Tag Team Champions. But once again, they took the belts off the Viking Raiders. And I'm not going to get into that tangent again. But, what I will say here is, is that I would like to see them more. But, you know, at some point, you got to do something with them. Instead of hanging around. It's better than catering, I guess. So, you know, and then the next match was the club versus the Lucha House Party. This was a good match. Because it was actually good to see an actual competitive match compared to what we've seen before. I gave it a B because I like, you know, being, you know, AJ stuff with the cap crushing on, held on longer, ooh, heelish stuff. But I like the progression. I like where it's going. And I'm coming around strong on it. Because initially I'm like, I don't know. But I'm coming around strong. I'm like, okay. You know, SummerSlam with Ricochet. Or would they make it a six, you know, or will Ricochet pair with the Usos? That could be potentially something. Or will the Usos defend their belts against the Rizzo? There's a lot of, this is what I like about Paul Heyman. A lot of chess moves, not checkers, chess moves that could be made with that particular feud and, and, and injecting certain people in it. You know, and then, you know, Seth Rollins, he comes in, you know, and we're going to get to Seth Rollins a little bit later. So I want to talk about Naomi versus Alexa Bliss and Natalia Carmella. The fatal four-way to determine who Becky Lynch will face at SummerSlam. It was a... Listen, people were hard on this match. And I had to use a very, very super, super curve. I gave it a B. I don't... Look. I'm not going to say it was the greatest match in the world. But I gave it a curve because I liked the fact... This is why I gave it the grade that it did. Because you're using the roster. No Lacey Evans was on this show. You had cross-branding, which, which we'll see later. But it was different. And I guess maybe I graded too high because it was different. But I liked it. So Natalia's going to go to SummerSlam. She won. She put... Alexa Bliss in the sharpshooter, and she's going to move on to SummerSlam. And SummerSlam FY is in Toronto, so you can take it as that. But what I will say is, is that it's different 
because it's not Lacey Evans. You know, I would have equally been happier with with Naomi. Like the only person I would have said, uh, but I probably would have said Alexa Bliss. And I really like Alexa Bliss. But I think a lot of people were very unfair to this match. It wasn't that bad of a match. I think it was different. And once again, I have no problem with Natalia. I really don't. I really don't. I, I think overall it was better than what it could have been. So, so you know, moving forward, to wrap up the Drake Maverick point real quick, because I got to wrap this up. You know, he's about to get romantic with his wife. You know, oh, you know, someone comes in, you know, concierge comes in, you think, oh, that's a ref. Our truth sneaks under. Roll pin, take the belt, leaves. You're going to, I absolutely love, absolutely love the way they're using Drake Maverick and our truth who I'll mention when we get to SmackDown. But let's go to the main event that was announced and off the show by Paul Heyman. The 10 man number one contender. Battle Royale determine who's going to face Brock Lesnar in SummerSlam. This is a very good match. I give it an A. I think I like the people in the match. You know, I, you know, Cesaro lost to Aleister Black. You know, Sami Zayn replacing Daniel Bryan. You know, you could have maybe used, you know, maybe Ricochet. But, you know, Ricochet, I understand the thing with the few. You know, it's nitpicky stuff. But, you know, Seth Rollins wins after he tosses over Randy Orton once again I don't have a problem with that I really don't and I'm looking for you know listen it could have been worse so I, I actually like that decision pulling the trigger on that and and so I guess like I said with Raw overall I gave the matches that came out to an 80 like the the best match or the match was I think the main event and the worst match I put was, if you want to call it, listen, you're going to see a recurring theme with that. Zachary Mike Canales. And I gave the show an A. I think what really gave it an A was Bray Wyatt, Drake Maverick, and I actually, I'm going to also toss in the, the women's match. Listen, it was just a change of pace. Listen, I think the fans disrespected it a little, but I, I kind of liked it. So take it as that so now as we shift to Smackdown I do want to talk about a lot of things that are going on there and we talk about Smackdown you know Shane McMahon comes out before the show starts he basically tells Kevin Owens you had the night off and you know you're good he's going to do a town hall hear the voice of the concern Will we see Kevin Owens again? We will. So, so Shane Man has this has the town hall, and it was so good. And you know, you had Liv Morgan getting legit mic time against Charlotte Flair. You had Apollo Cruz. You know, but with Liv Morgan, what I really liked it was her and Apollo looked very good. And there's some Bischoff-esque type things going on. Is that you're using the you're using that mid card and you're using that women's roster so well, and that to me was super important. 
and, and I'm very, and I'm, and I'm super glad, I'm super glad that they did that, I'm, you have no idea how glad I am about that, but, you know, going forward, you know, the, the town hall was good, you know, Roman Reigns just said, you know, yeah, cuss out the boss, leave, got fined, whatever, but what I liked was that when Elias showed up, and, <laughs> Xavier Woods called he called Elias the greatest jackass in SmackDown live history and you know, the live referred to himself as the greatest acquisition in SmackDown history and so we progress on we get some matches you know during that same time Hulk Lazar wanted to rematch Alistair Black wasn't as good as it was at, you know, at Screen Rules but I still gave it a B still a great match quick short match that's the thing as the black wins with black mask and during once again town hall Liv Morgan challenges Charlotte Flair short match but Liv looked very good she looked very good and you know I gave that match a B because it you know for that time they had it was good not great what I you know Liv Morgan took the microphone from the match and said I'm gonna be real so that's gonna lead me to believe that it should be a heel turn. I like her trajectory. I really do. She's looking very good. And that was the thing. I'm like, when they broke up the riot squad, I'm like, oh no. And Ruby Riots is still out hurt. So I'm like, Liv was kind of the weak link. And listen, I could be the first to say, Liv Morgan proved me wrong. I think her trajectory is upward. And I think if they go heel on her, you know, put the heel turn, I wouldn't be upset at that at all. So, we also get another women's women's match. Ember Moon and Bailey versus Fire and Ice. Sonya Deville and Mandy Rose. Short match. You know, Bailey hits the Bailey to Bailey hits the Bailey to Belly suplex on Mandy Rose. Tongue twister. And Ember moves the eclipse on Mandy you know, on Mandy Rose. Flip what I said. And Sonya Deville gets hit by the Bailey to Bailey. Bailey to Belly. It's going great so far. And a lot of tongue twisters, a lot of B words. You know, you know, my last name with the you know, I'm not gonna go into that. But so after the match, Caleb Braxton comes in interviews, and essentially we can see Bailey and Ember Moon at SummerSlam. Listen, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. Once again, it's different. You know, I, I wanna backtrack here. Listen, that whole thing with Nikki Cross and let's let no follow-up to it. No follow-up. Like, oh, oh we're good, you know. So, but, you know, say la vie. You know, listen, SummerSlam is still a while away. We can still see something different there. But, I'm, I am looking forward to that match. I really am. And so, the New Day come out in the ring and celebrate their champ you know all three are champions so who comes out first Samoa Joe comes out wanting a rematch with Kofi and Elias comes out saying no you've had your turn and then Orton says no your turn and then you know New Day says well let's have a six man tag team match player and Orton rebuffed <laughs> and he <laughs> forgot which one when they call Orton limp so Orton, he got a, he had a little smile. 
We get a six-minute tag match. And Randy Orton, RKO's the champ, pins the champ in the ring. Orton, Elias, and Joe win. Orton and Kofi, I'm not upset with that. I, I'd be, listen. I like the I like the projection for where these are going, so I, I really do like that. So moving on, you'll get the finally get the icons defending their belts against the Kabuki Warriors. <sighs> you know, Iconics take you know their champions, so they get counted out. My thing is seriously. Once again, Sasha Banks was right it, because it's becoming ridiculous. Make this at SummerSlam. Put the belt with the Boogie Warriors already. Just, just do it already. Because if you're not going to do it at SmackDown, obviously you're going to do it. We're going to drag along until SummerSlam. Just pull the trigger on there then. So, so then R-Truth shows up. R-Truth is in a washing machine. Hilarious. And then Carmella says, you know, go to Comic-Con. He said, and Archer said, don't call me no con. And I'm like, once again, I absolutely love Archer. You know, but go back and I want to go back and finish the point on the Kabuki Warriors. Listen, they, you know, they got their heat back. And I think having Paige on there really gives them more credibility than they have. Now. You know, uh, you know, that's a, it's, a, it's a team I can take seriously. Because not just, you know, I took them seriously when it was saying in the hospital, but having Paige using her as a manager, that works too. Nakamura shows up, and the bag gets interviewed, Ali shows up, that's going to be a feud, I believe, at SummerSlam. A lot of things are setting the table, which I like. And then, during that town hall, we get a match that was formed between Apollo Crews and Andrade. Cruz wins with the roll-up. And by the way, I gave that iconic match a C, and I gave this match the same grade at 75. Really, I don't see anybody again. You know, it was... Listen, I'll just say, it was good, but progression-wise, I don't know who really gained and who really lost. Apollo should have gained, but it's great to see him on television. I guess that's why I say it was good, because you get to see these dudes on television. So, we go to our main event, and it's Dolph Ziggler and KO. It wasn't really a match. KO guy came back to the arena, got you know, lured in. And he, you know, he left. And so, like I said, I just go back to what I said last week. I think it's a Stone Cold 2.0. And I think his impact was felt through the show from that town hall was a reflection of Kevin Owens. And I think it's a home run, and I, have, I for one, absolutely love it. So, I gave SmackDown a 90 as well. And the matches, you know, gave an 80. And, like, who really won? I, God. I lean toward Raw because I like Bray Wyatt. To me, I like Dre, the Maverick thing, but that Bray Wyatt, I liked it because I absolutely loved it from the minute Firefly Funhouse, where they're going to go with it. Don't ruin it, WWE. And, real quick, I was 7 and 4 picking the matches at Screen Rules. I was wrong about. AJ Styles, Braun Strowman, The Revival, and The New Day. So, in the Brock Lesnar thing, just assume I was right on that. I didn't count it one way because it wasn't fair. But, 
But what's fair is to talk about the LFL and exactly what team reminds you of, of them in the NFL. Well, I'll have that answer for you next on Sports and World. into sports and the world and let's get right into it to talk about the LFL the Nashville Knights will will go on the road to play the Chicago Bliss Saturday July 20th at the Sears Central Arena and it's the last game for the Chicago Blitz see if they can pick up a win and a couple of keys to the game that I do have is the Knights run game versus the Bliss defense Full discretion, the Knights are last in the LFL in rush yards per game, and the Bliss give up a lot of yards and they're dead last there. So something's got to give at some point. And I think Molly Richardson, she has the fourth highest you know, rate quarterback rating in the LFL. And the Bliss defense gives up the fifth most passing yards at 79.7 yards a game. So, don't be shocked if they try to go to the air, but that Bliss secondary, you listen, don't let the record fool you, that's a great secondary they have back there. And I think it might be a defensive game, because between both, they're both in the bottom of the league in total points. The Knights only 39 points, they're last, the Bliss second last, with 41. Bliss 11 and a half favorites, the 55 over the under, t- take the under. You know, everyone picking the Bliss. I'm going to go with the Knights. I think the Knights figure it out. Molly Richardson makes the right throw the last. You know, she makes the right play. I think they win 27-21. So, that's my prediction there. And I'm not entirely sure, but if coming up on this Saturday that they're going to show the the Denver Dream and Omaha Heart game. But I hope they do. Because, you know... I hope they do because you know it's a you know I like seeing Omaha Heart. I like Lauren Crouch. I like the direction of that team. So, but a few things to get to before I get into my LFL and NFL equivalent, real quick. And I want to talk about the award-winning LFL films and with the coming out with the story with Katie Whelan, a mother, soldier, and football player, on the LFL YouTube channel and Atlanta Steam. Wide receiver, safety, and my, you know, a good friend. I've known her 20 years. Lauren Ziegler, Ziggy to her friends. I can call her that. You can't. No, you can't. She's, she's super nice. She's going to be on the Million Dollar Mile Saturday at 8 on CBS. Check her out. And like I think I said in a previous episode about her, she's probably the best athlete I've seen, man or woman, you know, Grow, you know, in school, she played volleyball. She played softball. She's just super talented, and most importantly, she's super nice. She's representing the three-two-one. So we're rooting for you, Ziggy, and I love you. So with that being said, I want to talk about, as I promised last week, to compare these LFL teams to some NFL teams, and some closer to home, some. You know, some a little far away. So, I want to talk about the Austin Acoustic. You know, they have a great offense. 
great coaching, their talent. They remind me of the New Orleans Saints with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. You know, listen, Michelle Angel has, you know, she's won the championship, so has Drew Brees. Mike Oliveira, I think, is a head of a football coach. Sean Payton's a head of a football coach. And where the similarity there, that before Sean Payton got there, the Saints as a team were awful. You know, Mike Oliveira took over the team, they were awful, but they got better. Even, they were probably the best winless team in the history of the NFL. And, and Mike Oliveira turned this team around just like Sean Payton did with the Saints. And, you know, Mike Oliveira was a couple plays away from being, from winning the Legends Cup. So I think the Saints fits them very well. But the Seattle missed, I didn't have to think that hard. The New England Patriots, the best coach, and you got a, you got a championship winning quarterback. That's a formula that works all the way around for everybody. Chris Michelson is the best coach, you know, in the LFL. Michael Oliver is right there at second. And you got KK Matheny. Listen, people can say what the KK Matheny does. She, listen, you can't take that anomaly against the acoustic. Was one of her better games, but she's won championships in this league. Just like Tom Brady. And and I think it absolutely fits the bill. I think similar underdog S story, you know, the, the height to play the position of quarterback. She's what five God, yeah. But I want to say five three, five four, I could be wrong. If you're listening to KK, I'm sorry. But I think that's the equivalent I have there. For the LA Temptation, you know, I went right up, you know, I stayed in the city. The Chargers. You got a veteran quarterback. You know, you got Ashley Slanerna and you got Phillip Rivers. You got a very, very solid, you got a very solid, to be honest, a very solid defense. And you know, the offense is not that bad either. You got a running game. Melvin Gordon, Mariah Lopez, that fits. Coaching wise, unproven, but listen, the stock is good there. And I think they're. Same way I feel about the Chargers being Super Bowl contenders. Same way I feel about the Temptation being Legend Cup, Legends Cup contenders as well. The Atlanta team didn't have to go that far. They didn't think that hard. My my Atlanta Falcons. When I watch them play, I go, God, you know, I see a lot of Matt Ryan and Dakota Hughes. You know, been to the big game, can't quite win it. Defensive head coach, great offense, the defense. But, you know, hopefully, listen, they're still in the running, just like the Falcons. With Omaha Hart, listen, I was torn between the Buffalo Bills and the Colts. I went with the Colts. Talented quarterback. Warren Carter has a big arm. Andrew Luck has a big arm. And they're building, you know, the same thing with the Colts. They're building around the quarterback. You got to do that in all levels. And I think that's what they're doing in Omaha. And I really like that with Warren with, with Carter. They're building something very special there. In Omaha, and I wouldn't be shocked, you know, as early as next year, you see them take that next step. And for the Nashville Knights, you know, super hard. I went with the Jets, and I went with the Jets because, you know, I think they're talented on both sides of the ball. You know, I think when you lost what they lost in talent last season, and, you know, what they had coming into this season... You know, I think that there's talent there. And that a good young quarterback. Molly Richardson is a very good quarterback. She's proven she's very good. 
then I feel about Sam Darnold. And the Denver Dream didn't have to go that far. The Denver Broncos. This was easy. Simply put, who's the quarterback? There's no quarterback. Listen, I say Brittany Perea and they had Jessica Poole. Listen, the Denver Broncos went and got Joe Flacco and they drafted Drew Locke. John Elway was the same that he drafted Paxton Lynch. There's no quarterback. So if they can figure out quarterback position, because listen, the, the defense is good. You got Vic Fangio over in Denver. You got Marcus Juniel in for the Denver Dream. You know, something's got to figure out. Something's got to give at some point. And for the Chicago Bliss, listen, I didn't want to go bad. Because overall, if, if I would have did this three, four years ago, they would have probably been right up there as the pay, you know, as a dynasty-ass team. But they're the Giants. Quarterback, question mark. Listen, nothing on Chaz Toussaint. But when you look at everybody else playing, it doesn't look that great. They're rebuilding. Just like the Giants. Except I think the the Bliss are going to be more successful at that. But, and I just think, you know, in the big city, there's the pressures. I think when you lose a coaching staff and you lose a, listen, when they, listen, when Tom Coughlin retired, that changed the course of this franchise when he retired. But the Big Mac could do things, see how that turned out. And more importantly, with the move being made, I think the Bliss are going to figure it out year two, I think, you know, hopefully they can win a game for the fans. But, and those are my predictions. So to recap, the acoustic of the Saints, miss the Patriots, temptation the Chargers, the steam the Falcons, the heart are the Colts, the Knights are the Jets, the dream are the Broncos, and the bliss are the Giants. And that's your LFL wrap-up, and once again, starting Tuesday, you can find this LFL segment on the Tuesday podcast for the football season. And coming up next, my big picture. And let me tell you, let's just say you have to trust me on it. We'll be back more with sports and the world. back into the final segment here of sports and the world and if you've been with us this long I thank you so much if you're listening through Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, or Radio Public along with Apple and Google and Spotify and also here on Anchor thank you so much once again and as and we delve in here I want to talk about trust Specifically in social media. Because I feel a lot of us, you know, sometimes myself included, we, we look on social media and sometimes we take it at face value because sometimes we can be lazy at fact checking. We can be lazy on, most importantly, you know, what we put out there material wise. Because one of the things I try to do with the podcast is I try to be careful what I espouse out. Because my goal is not to offend anyone. You know, upsetting someone doesn't affect me as long as uh, the reason why they're upset is because of something I said offensively. But I think a lot of us, we worry about social media because what can we say or don't say? Because we don't want to offend people for the most part. So 
what led me to this the whole thing we talked about in the first topic when it came to the president you know in terms of rhetoric and words so this was a, this was something from the Pew Research Center from just you know essentially this month it talked about in essence what we're discussing and it said that and based on this according to John Lelogia of the Pew Research Center he found that quote a sizable majority of US adults 66% say social media companies have a responsibility to remove offensive content from their platform but just 31% have a great deal or fair amount of confidence in these companies to determine what offensive content should be removed so once again it kind of speaks to the point that we trust Twitter we trust Facebook to remove you know we trust them enough to say that's offensive because we don't know what's offensive or some people don't know what's offensive and you may say well it should be common sense you would think but it's not and I want to piggyback that with another poll with another survey excuse me that came from the Pew Research Center this was last month it talked about the state of political discourse in this country and this ties right into the Trump what we talked about earlier that nearly half 48% say that in thinking about the kind of language people use, it is, quote, hard to know what others might find offensive. That's a direct quote. And, and you and say, well, that's kind. Because we trust social media to tell us that we hold them responsible to remove content. But most half of us, nearly half of us say, you know, it's hard to know what others might find offensive. So... It's that finite line that you want to express your point when you say that's going to offend people. Like with, with, with what the president said, people say it's very xenophobic, very sexist. Some people didn't see it that way, as I mentioned in the in the first segment of this episode. But I want to delve into more on that using that same study from the state of political discourse in the U.S. And they when they were asked. The importance of personally not using offensive language. It was either easy to know or it's hard to know. Some people found it very easy to know, 60 to 40 percent. Somewhat or not at all, that's where it gets tricky. It was hard to know somewhat and not at all or not too much was at 58 percent compared to 47 and 41 percent respectively so in essence people knew that it was very important personally knowing using offensive language it was very important it was very easy to know that but somewhat and not at all it was hard to know because it's very hard to know what you put out there is offensive and that's very true and that's gonna be like well why is that important Ladarius? and I'll tell you why in that same poll, that same study, two questions were asked. Was that people need to be careful, more careful, about the language they use, or too many people, too people are easily offended over the language others use. So, overall, 60% of the people said that too many people are easily offended over the language others use. And 
as I've said, I think in the previous podcast episode, that's very true. But when you start breaking it down by race, that's where it gets real tricky. When people ask that same question, 60% of white people said that too many people are easily offended over the language others use. Hispanics, 54% said the same thing. Black, when it came to black people, 65% said people need to be careful, more careful, about the language they use. Why? It speaks directly to the state of the culture we're in, where many people, many black people, feel offended and be careful with the language we use. It's you have to be careful what you say, how you say it. And that's and I come to find that to be very, very true in many regards there. But the one takeaway is that why did I bring this up? Is that listen when Republicans or leaning Republicans, Democrat-leaning Democrats were asked that question, 82% of Republicans said that two people are easily offended, and 56% of Democrats said that people need to be careful of the language. You know, reading into the numbers, it's very simple. And it's the issue that I talked about, like, why do, why do some people who support what the president said, well, it goes to that 82%. They say they're too easily offended by the language that other people use. Like, other people get, you know, like, listen, we're offended. Like, other people are easily offended. And according to the Democrats saying, listen, you have to be careful what you say. Because it could be easily offended. That's why Democrats are upset and why Republicans are not. The Republicans will say that two people are easily offended over the language the president used. They were offended. Democrats say, well, the president needs to be more careful in what he says. And most importantly, people of African and black people said, look, you need to be careful what you say. White people, and even Hispanic people slightly said, two people are easily offended over the language of the And I come, and I'm in the camp of, we have to understand we live in a world where I believe that it's not only it's a race issue, but it's generational. The things that we could say 20, 25 years ago, you can't say now because we live in a different world. And any world should progress and change, and that part I get. But when you make certain jokes, you got to be careful because people are going to get offended. So we have to be careful what we say. Even at our job, at your work, what you say to one employee you can't say to the other employee because they can become easily offended. Or, they'll tell you, you need to be careful what you say. And mind you, going back forward, some people, 82, was it 52%, and 58% said someone or not at all when it came to the importance of personally knowing not using offensive language. They said they some it's somewhat hard to know, and it's somewhat you know, or not at all hard to know. But some people say it's very easy to know the importance of it. And what I say to that is that what this poll is teaching us is that you you have to decipher when you post something on social media. I don't tell people what to post, how to post. That's not my job. What I will say is, is that essentially 
you're going to get people who are going to be too easily offended. At least at a minimum, two-thirds or three-fifths of the people are going to be easily offended. And for the most part, people of color will tell you you need to be more careful about it. That's what the poll tells me. We live in that world where you have to be careful with the words that you say. And, I, and that's the recurring theme of the episode. You have to be careful what you say. Because how you talk, a joke that you make to your friend is a joke you can't make to your boss. And, and a joke that you make with your wife, you can't make with some other woman. Language and words matter. And what social media and the trust is is that we do we trust ourselves when we hit that button and if you want to go by this if you're a person of color you have to be if you have if you're a person of color like myself this poll says that i say that people need to be more careful about the language they use yes but what i also say is that listen people just get easily offended and we have to change and course correction that because we live in a world where you, you can become too sensitive because if everything offends you then what doesn't offend you that's where I say well if everything the better question is what offends you or better yet, what doesn't offend you that's the better way people say well what offends you no the better question is what does offend you because essentially Facebook and Twitter listen 60% of us say, you know, it's the responsibility of Facebook and Twitter to offensive content, but what's offensive content? Because I, and this, this poll was telling me is that living in a world, people just become sensitive. You know, what do you say to someone without pissing them off? And what I say to that is, before I wrap up this episode is, I want to tell you guys something, something a little takeaway is is that if you think that it's offensive don't post it but post it if you feel that it's going to convey your point without offending someone because in your mind if you think it's offensive don't post it because we live in that world where there's more people living in a bubble than they are living in a in a sphere. Because listen, there's a difference between you're living in a bubble and you're living in with everybody else. And with that being said, that's today's episode of Sports and the World. I'm Ladarius Brown. I thank you so much. Once again, tune in starting Tuesday for my football podcast and come right back here on Friday where you and I together will go on this journey of sports and the world.